1: Mobile banking
0: requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
2: It was also though a really uncanny experience because we'd be like reading the New York Times on our phone and I think like in some sort of childish way I had this idea of like, oh, in some other building they're all making the New York Times and it's being beamed into my phone and then I'd be like, no, we're in the New York yeah. Times, they're all at home they're in their bedrooms.
1: Home. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
2: Punched over their computers.
0: Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to The Awardist, where we are chatting with the actors, creators, and more who are contenders this year and breaking down the state of the 2023 Oscars race. I'm Entertainment Weekly Executive Editor Jared Hall, and joining me this week are EW Senior Writers Devin Kogan and Joey Nolfi. Hello to you both. Hi, Hi Jared, low. we
3: finally got there. Jared deserves an Oscar for this performance of doing this intro. I mean... The number of takes. Meryl Streep could <laughs> never. Um, yeah. It's pretty well, good. Anyway. Yeah, it was great. It was great.
0: It happens. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Devin has been covering one of the most talked about movies of the season so far, She Said, which is about two New York Times investigative journalists, Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey, who tirelessly and diligently and painstakingly broke the Harvey Weinstein sexual assault story. Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan star as those two journalists, and we will hear from them in just a bit. But first, Joey is our resident awards expert and is here to provide some analysis on the current state of the ever-changing race. Uh, so let's get to it, I suppose, starting with uh, a movie that is kind of on everyone's mind since it's enormous monumental opening last weekend black panther wakanda forever now this movie uh is without question going to get recognized uh with nominations at the least in lots of crafts and technical categories um but joey my first question to you is can it land like the first black panther movie a best picture nomination
3: That is a tough thing to say at the moment. I mean, let me just say that I think, like myself, the industry is already tired. I mean, it's just like, we're only in the first few weeks of the Oscar race. Everybody's tired. Everything is flying at us. Um, But what a a movie to sort of jolt people awake. I mean, this Mm. thing made $181 million at the box office on its opening weekend. That is something that it's become too big to ignore. So I think it is absolutely in the mix for Best Picture. The thing that I think is going to hurt heard it though is i i i find it hard to believe that a lot of oscar voters are going to on their ballots put both avatar and black panther wakanda forever on and top gun maverick and top gun maverick like these are all huge sequels um huge blockbuster sequels to huge blockbuster franchises so i think i while i don't think that groupthink is Necessarily something that happens as much as pundits think it happens in the race. I do <laughs> think that a lot of Oscar voters are going to be making that decision and they're gonna be like, I'm gonna put one or the other. And I think of those three, Top Gun probably has the best shot just because it was so mammoth. But yeah, I think that Black Panther, we're gonna see it in uh definitely the technical races uh i, I honestly i'm hearing like murmurs of angela bassett being the support i, of going I don't think i yeah. don't think we're quite there yet but best picture still in the hunt i think for sure Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, when it comes to Angela, I think uh, and maybe even the picture at large is the, um, you know, the notion of, uh, you know, every year there's kind of one of those movies that's like the emotional or sentimental favorite. Um, And that's not to take away any credit from, uh, you know, the, the quality of the film. But that does often go a long way. And if we're looking at Avatar, Top Gun and Black Panther, Black Panther definitely has the emotional factor.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, uh, some Angela's nomination, if she were, I I mean, it's still a very long shot here at this point. I think it would be most comparable to something like Sylvester Stallone and Creed in 2016. Uh, I think that, you know, there's a there's a path there for that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I, it's a very emotional film. But also, I mean, if you're talking about movies that move a general audience, and like older, straight white people, like, Top Gun. I mean, (laughs) it doesn't get much more like basic emotion than Top Gun. So I think that is a safer bet for uh, if we're counting on like an emotional move. Um, Because I mean, the Academy, even though it's rapidly diversifying, it is still very old, still very... I mean, is basic the right word? And I think if you're going to appeal to the basics, what, what better way to do it than Top Gun? Yeah,
0: yeah, it makes sense. Um, Devin, this is a movie that you also covered uh, quite extensively for us in um, kind of like making the rounds, conversations, perhaps with other, uh, you know, journalists out there, other, um, you know, superhero heads. Can I call them that? You know, like their <laughs> sneaker heads or their superhero <laughs> heads. Um, what, what are you what are you getting from uh, those folks? The feeling about its chances.
4: Um, I think, you know, this is this is a huge movie. And I think, um, you know, the first Black Panther was such a watershed moment, specifically when it comes to, like, superhero movies and awards recognition. Um, and I'm curious whether Wakanda Forever can kind of keep up that momentum. Um, two people I really, I, I think, would be very safe bets to get nominated would certainly be Hannah Beachler for production design mm-hmm. and uh, Ruthie Carter Ruth, for costume oh. design. Uh, both of yeah. whom won the first time around and do absolutely jaw-droppingly incredible work in Wakanda Forever. I think Ruth
0: actually outdid herself from the first movie. And I don't know how that was possible, but yeah. Yeah. yeah.
4: I think those two are definitely categories that I would love to see them win, and I would be very surprised if they weren't nominated. Um, And then as far as, you know, kind of other categories, you know, again, I just, you hear a lot of buzz about Angela Bassett, just a lot of Twitter chatter. Um, I think, you know, there's sort of a, a... I, I don't know whether that can translate into actual votes. Um, uh, you know, as we know, Twitter chatter is, is one thing. Um, but I think there's so much love for her, and I think there there could be definitely kind of a conversation around her. Because I think when you look at specifically the acting performances in this movie, I think she's she's the standout.
0: hmm Yeah.
3: Well, I think the safer bet of all of this— I mean, if Black Panther, if we're talking about safest nomination— I honestly think it's Rihanna for best Original gonna, Song. I was oh, gonna yeah. say, do
0: you are you gonna say Rihanna? Yeah. Yep.
3: <laughs> I truly do. I mean, it debuted at number two on the Billboard Hot 100. It uh, is Rihanna's first solo release, and I think what like six, years. six, five, six yeah. years. So, mm. I I think that's honestly the safest bet for Black Panther: <laughs> Wakanda Forever. Because I mean, it is a sequel. We have to understand, like, it's a sequel. Yeah. The Academy tends to not go as crazy for sequels as they, unless it's something like the Godfather part two, um, they tend to not go crazy or Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings. Uh, it's, I don't know. I don't know if we're quite there yet uh, for black Panther Wakanda forever, but the box office certainly didn't hurt anything. And the Rihanna song, I mean, how great is it going to be though to have like a Rihanna versus Gaga matchup in best original song this year? Cause Gaga did the top gun song. So that's going to be a crazy matchup. That's gonna I, yeah.
4: Be a fun matchup. I think we could see Rihanna EGOT at some point. Maybe oh. so. Maybe, Maybe so it's
0: just a question of when. 100%. She'll figure out something for Broadway. Um, yeah, I, I just, <laughs> I honestly can't wait to see uh, the, the awards season journey for Black Panther. Um, I, I feel like Angela's uh, potential nomination could really come at the hands of how much her co-stars uh, boost her up and put her on kind of the appropriate um pedestal once they're in front of, uh, you know, voters and stuff. So yeah, we'll see.
3: We'll see. I think SAG is going to be the make or break for this one because they uplifted the first Black Panther so heavily, yeah. very early on in the race. Uh, So I think we could see SAG also give them an ensemble nomination. And if that crowd is working the circuit again, like they did the first time around, I mean, yes, Angela Bassett's path to a nomination would become much, much easier. But right now, I think still she's she's very much on the periphery of the race.
4: I still think about that Chadwick Boseman um, acceptance speech uh, for mm. Best Ensemble at the SAG Awards. It's, it's yeah. a beautiful, beautiful moment that I, I I often come back to.
3: And I think yeah. the one that could be taking that spot this year is going to be something like The Woman King, which, I mean, that cast is just such a mix of newcomers. To to movies, I know that um, uh, uh, the lead actress she has also she's done a lot of TV work, but this is her first film. And then you also have like huge stars like Viola Davis and John Boyega. So I think that that is the kind of ensemble that SAG might be more in tune with this year than a, a cast for a sequel, but. Who knows? They love their stars. They love their celebrities. They also love heralding newcomers. So SAG, I think, will be the teller there.
0: Yeah, Tuso and Bedu, uh, I believe, is who you're mm-hmm. talking about there. And yes. and th- that film, uh, amazing critical response, amazing audience response, uh, surprising box office. It has a lot going for it as well. Um, uh, speaking of, you know, we were talking about SAG Awards, um, a, a movie that we could see an ensemble nomination for, and I'm sure is going to go uh, quite a long ways on the uh, Oscars race, is The Fablemans. Uh, that one is- What's a- that? Yeah, right. What is that one? Uh, a little, little, little personal thing from Steven Spielberg, uh, something what it's it's been like, you know, a 60 year journey for him to to kind of get to the point of wanting to tell this story. Um, this one's kind of already been uh, up front and center um, and you have it continuing to rise in uh, your heat index. I, I mean, I can't see anything stopping this one's journey. Can you?
3: Yeah, not right now, not at all. I think it has it's the perfect mix of everything the academy has traditionally loved. I mean, a respected old white guy director, Steven Spielberg, who has just completely just decimated the industry throughout his entire career, um telling a story about his childhood which also is directly tied into uh the industry. It's a story about Hollywood it's a coming-of-age story about a little white boy. So, like, that's what they love.
0: A story about Hollywood, but not in Hollywood, which gives it that nice little bit of separation.
3: Yeah, Until those closing moments, which I will say, I think The Fablemans has perhaps one of the most perfect endings of a movie I have ever seen in my entire Mm. life. And I think that that's the sentiment that you need to end on to, like, drive a movie like that home, to stay in voters' hearts, it Slumdog is, Millionaire.
0: Look at what it, it did with its yes. ending.
3: Yep. Uh-huh. I mean, but I think even The Fablemans, I think, is even – it might be one of, my, like, my top three favorite movie endings of all wow. time, truly. It is just hmm. – it's so perfect. So, 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 so perfect. And the cast, I mean, too. It's just – it's it's a cast that actors love. It's a cast that audience audiences love. Um yeah, and if they're going to go that crazy for something like licorice pizza as a coming-of-age <laughs> story like the Fablemans, <laughs> which is light years better than licorice pizza, uh, yeah, it's it's a very clear front runner at this
0: point. Yeah fair assessment and michelle williams looking for what would be her sixth nomination i would love to see judd hirsch get in there um yes he's 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 actually he's always fantastic uh Mm -hmm. i I think he doesn't get enough credit for some of the things that he's in that you're like why is judd hirsch in this you're like no but he's so good (laughs) in it he makes the most out of material that you know a lot of people might just show up and have some fun with and he like you know he brings something to everything i love him so much And then another one that just uh, folks have just been able to see recently is Babylon uh, with Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt. uh, Gene Smart is in this one. Um, But a lot of mixed initial social media reactions to this movie from uh, previous Oscar winner Damien Chazelle.
3: Yes, I think that he could be suffering from a little bit of a of a curse i mean there's daggers come out whenever you know you're releasing a movie after having such a huge success of something like um la la land and then he did he did um what's this the one he did after that with ryan gosling yeah ryan first, gosling, man. Astronaut, first, man. first man oh yeah yep. well thank god we all forgot about that <laughs> um but he, he, i so i think this is his true like oscar comeback after uh la la land and it's another industry tale it is apparently i mean i've heard some people have been calling it monstrous and then some people are calling it like a juicy visual treat and it's just like this seems definitely like something that maybe like film twitter is going to love and also loathe and i think that that could potentially work in its favor because when you have the daggers coming out that prompts like the fanboy uh people that usually rally around like male cool directors to then overcompensate and sort of push it more into the conversation so i think we're still at a very interesting point for that one of course we're only it's just twitter reactions that have come out for that we'll wait till full reviews come out until the critics get a hold of it but i think with stars like margot robbie brad pitt i mean it's gonna be something that is going to be on the tips of people's tongues uh, throughout the season. So we'll see where that one goes. But as of right now, it's a little bit of a polarized reaction uh, out of its first screening.
0: Yeah. And because of that polarized reaction, you have it uh, on the heat index, it's kind of a level or do you have it dropping? Um,
3: well, actually, the subheading that I have for it, I usually do who's up and who's down. And the one that's published on the site is who's well, we're not quite sure, <laughs> which is the first yeah. time in heat index history. I think we put that so we have to wait and see. Baffled by this one. All right.
0: Mm-hmm. We will wait and see for sure. Um, and let's talk Colin Farrell, who was already up for his performance in uh, the Banshees of Inna Sharon. Uh, and his Oscar profile just seems to keep increasing.
3: Yes, I it's and it's so surprising. He's one of those people that you're just like Colin Farrell has just been in our minds for like what two decades now? It's just At hard least. to believe that yeah. he, he's been around that long and he doesn't have an Oscar nomination because he is so talented. And I think that this is another one that SAG is gonna go crazy for. It's gonna get the ensemble nomination. It's gonna get nominations, I think, in every category. Actor for Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleason, supporting actor. Um, oh, not Best Actress. Supporting Actress, I think, for Carrie Condon. And then also uh, Barry could get in for Supporting Actor too. So it's just a movie that's completely driven by its cast. And also Martin McDonough is just, I, I mean, what he's been able to do for actors in the past 10 years is just crazy. Also on um, in Bruges with uh, Brendan and Colin before, Love. which is such a beloved movie. So this movie has so much going for it. And Colin is just getting standout praise. I think he's going to steamroll the season. Uh, Mm. unfortunately, I think that means that Brendan Fraser and the whale who I know has so Mm. much support, uh, for him right now. I unfortunately think that that movie, like I said, in the heat index peaked way too hard, way too early Mm -hmm. because you have all of this emotional, like people wanted the emotion to feel the emotion behind his push so hard. And now I think we're kind of burnt out on it already. That movie already feels like it's like nine years old. So I, (laughs) and it's just now opening. Um, and it's, yeah. uh, yes, yeah. it's just now opening in a few weeks. So it's just yeah. like, I, I think that they kind of went too, too hard or. Well, it's not the movie's fault. I mean, it's, right. it's everybody's yeah. cover who's covering its fault. But yeah, right. Yeah, Th-
0: that's that's one of the um, potential uh, in the cons list of the pros and cons of uh, you know showing at all of those early uh you know at all those fall festival um, you know being on that circuit. So, yeah, we'll we'll see how he can rebound. One award show where we know he won't show up, he might still get nominated. The Golden Globes, the Globes, um, yeah. where yeah, where he has said he will not attend uh, because he you know he has. Uh, In in addition to all of their um, prior problems, he has a very uh, personal attachment to those problems. Uh Um, So, yeah, I I understand why he would not want to uh, want to be there. But makes total. I hope that won't hurt his uh, chances otherwise. Agreed. Agreed. Um, All right. The last thing I want to talk about here in terms of heat index. Oh, Joey, uh, as I mentioned, we have the cast of She Said on today. Uh, Where is that one kind of landing right now?
3: Uh, I think it's still a little I think we're gonna have to wait and see how that one plays at the box office and also with critics. I mean, it's getting decent reviews. I think that it's got a strong cast. Obviously, the subject matter is one that people are very much interested in. However, I do think, like I was saying, the Academy is diversifying, but it still does have a lot of like crotchety older traditional voters in it. And I think that faction might be the kind of faction that's like is this a message movie? Do we really want to go for this? I'm not saying I am subscribing to that thought. I'm just trying to understand what a lot of these older traditional conservative voters might say. Uh, and whereas they will embrace something like, oh, what was the, um, what was the Charlize Theron and Nicole Kidman one? Bombshell. Oh, uh, bombshell. Yes. I think that the reason that they embraced that one is that it was a little bit um, snappier. Like, I mean, the direction was a little bit, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? I mean, yeah, there, was, was, there was an energy to it. Yes. And I think yeah. that this one, by all accounts, is a little bit more straightforward of a movie. So I think that as, as bad as it sounds, I think there needs to be some sort of excitement factor for a movie like that, for the, those kinds of voters to vote for it, besides just being a topical, very important film, which this movie is. Um, and again, not subscribing to any of those things personally, just trying to understand what, uh, yeah, you know, an yeah. older conservative problematic Oscar voter might be <laughs> yeah, thinking. Yeah, as,
0: as we have to do, you know, what was interesting watching that movie? And I'm, I'm curious your experience as well, Devin, seeing it, um, in theaters is that, um, there was a hush over the, over the crowd. There was, um, uh, there was a lot of intent from the audience to pay attention to what was being said, um, to what we were hearing from, uh, victims, um, it, it, uh, and I saw one other review that, uh, kind of summed up something really in a fascinating way is that to, to Joey's point, this is not a very energetic film, but it just wants you to listen. And I thought that was a really interesting review and take on that.
4: Yeah, that is super interesting. I mean, I, I, one of my favorite film genres is the journalism movie. I mean, all the Presidents Men, Spotlight. You know, going all the way back to something like His Girl Friday. I mean, I I love that whole genre. I mean, surprise, surprise. I'm a journalist. Guess what? Yeah. I love movies about journalism. <laughs> uh, but but I think this is one that gets it a lot of it very right. It's not sensationalized. It's not salacious. It's very much just about people who are very good at their job doing their job. Um, and I, I think there's something it does have a couple like kind of interesting narratives that I think we'll see throughout award season. You know, you have the fact that you have Ashley Judd playing herself yeah. or, um, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow lending her voice to, to, you know, voice Gwyneth Paltrow. And obviously, you know, it's not just a journalism movie. It's a movie about Hollywood, Um, which, you know, I think on one hand, maybe the Oscars might reward it because we know they love movies about Hollywood, or maybe they may just be like, eh, this is, you know, we don't want to kind of get involved right. in that.
2: And it could um, be a
0: bigger opportunity to like take as a whole, a stance against Harvey Weinstein and his actions, both ones that he has been convicted of and is still facing trial for.
4: Yeah, I mean, the story of Harvey Weinstein is kind of the story of the Oscars. So it's it's kind of hard to, you know, kind of untangle those things. But, you know, I really, I, I do, I really loved this film. I, was, I, I wasn't I was quite sure, when, kind of going into it, what to expect, but I, I loved how kind of, um, you know, kind of, kind of very, Fact focused it is. And it's, 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 you know, not necessarily very flashy. I mean, there's some flashy castings and names and things, but it's, it's very down to earth. And I I think, you know, um, Zoe and Carrie give, give great performances. So
0: They do for sure. Um, And for folks who aren't as familiar with it, just to kind of explain the movie as kind of implied by the title is the story of Harvey Weinstein's victim. So there is no he said uh, in this, it is all the she said. Um, And by the way, these are claims that he through the years has has denied. Um, But we see the journalists uh, who are working mothers trying to convince women to share their experiences. Um, We hear some pretty near play-by-play accounts of encounters with Harvey. Some of the real women even appear. Um, So in speaking with the cast, Devin, uh, the cast and um, even director Maria Schrader, I have to imagine they spoke of an emotional toll that this story might have taken on them.
4: Yeah, it's something that you know they they all everyone I spoke to uh, talked about just wanting to get it right, um, wanting to get it right for the survivors, uh, wanting to get it right for Jody Cantor and Megan Tuhi, the the two journalists who this is sort of focused on, and just just wanting to get it right as just uh, kind of get the facts right. I mean, this is you know it's interesting, Maria Schrader, the director, kind of approached this almost almost like kind of like a documentarian as far as like speaking to people and actually casting real people as themselves. And this is, I think, the first film to actually like be invited to film in the New York Times offices, which is something they did sort of during early in the pandemic, um, when the offices were still closed. Um so it's very it's it's very fact focused. It's very much um, you know, we don't see any, you know, sexual assaults. We just hear, you know, descriptions of it. Um and I think it's a very like it's 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 a very fascinating film and i think it's one that you know kind of like you said you know it kind of forces you to listen a little bit it's it's sort of you know presents the facts to you in a very um not an unemotional way but in a very straightforward way um and sort of you know lets you kind of grapple with that but yeah that was something the cast and the director talked about quite a bit was you know the sense of responsibility you have in in telling a story that is not only a true story but is a very um, recent true story. You know, this is not something we're not making another movie about Watergate, which, you know, happened, you know, several decades ago. This is, this is a thing that broke in the New York times in 2018. I mean, this is a story that happened five years ago. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of fascinating and I'm curious to see, um, how people react to it, both inside and outside of, um, the industry.
0: Mm-hmm. Some of the scenes that I found so striking, uh, the, the ones that you talked about where you hear the encounters and the experiences explained, you don't see the assaults, um, but it's just over images of um, a bed where you can see that someone has maybe been sitting on it and a pillow is slightly out of place and you can see a piece of clothing on the floor. Um, it's just, it's things like that, that in any other movie you're like, Whoa. What, what is this? But it obviously was so perfect in this case because, uh, you know, it's, it's a very um, it's a very triggering topic. Uh, lots of people, unfortunately, sadly, have uh, experienced similar things. And, um, you know, I, I think there is a point that they could have gone too far with all of that. And they handled it with such respect, not just to these women, but anybody who has uh, lived through that. So um, I, I think kudos to them. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, just really loving Carrie and Zoe's performance. Was there anything in particular that really stood out to you that you were like, OK, when I talk to them, I need to know about this or that?
4: Yeah. One of the things that I thought was really kind of cool about the film and is not in the book that that Jodie Cantor and Megan Toohey wrote about, um, but actually did happen to them. Um, it portrays them both as working mothers. You know, we see them struggling to find childcare, or, you know, juggling um, you know, phone calls while, you know, their their kids are in the other room, you know, um, Carrie's character uh, deals with uh, postpartum depression. Um, and that's something the actresses talked about really relating to. I mean, they're all working mothers. Um, Carrie Mulligan talked about how... Um, she herself experienced postpartum depression while she was you know working on a big press tour um for a film and how she she really you know that's not something you often see depicted on screen um certainly not in like you know um i mean the reality is that you know and, and this is something maria Schrader talked about too there's a lot of journalism movies but there's not a lot of female journalists uh, portrayed with you know, sensitivity or, or truth. Um, you know, you lot of, you see a lot of movies where, you know, the female journalist sleeps with her sources. Oh, we're or looking like, at you, Clint
3: Eastwood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's you
4: know, I mean, it's a long history. Our, our former EW colleague, Ariana Bakel, who worked here years ago, wrote a great story <laughs> for EW.com, um, sort of like ranking some of the actually, like, good female journalists in, in film. Um, so I, I think that it's, it's a really interesting, you know, kind of portrayal because you know you think about you know something like all the president's men you don't really spend a lot of time at home um with woodward and bernstein you kind of see their messy studio apartments you know and you kind of get a sense of who they are but their their life is their work so that was something just like a cool detail and something that really i think enhances the film and i think is is you know really a a great kind of character piece and then also like they just both talked about really loving like all the president's men. There was one day when they were filming in the office um, and they'll, they'll talk about this in the interview, but i um where like their like onset photographer was like, Hey, can you guys like sit at that desk over there and we can like maybe try to recreate that iconic image from um all the president's men? And they were like, Yeah, sure. And then like that wound up being like the poster. Um, so they they just talked about, you know, that's that's one of my favorite films. I'm the nerd who like went to journalism camp when I was in high school. And what do you do with a bunch of teenagers in journalism camp but show them all the president's men? Yeah. So um
3: Yep. And anyway, again, yeah.
4: sucker for a journalism movie. I love yeah, it. I in you. case you
3: didn't know, Devin is a journalist. I, I've heard rumors. <laughs> I
4: mean we I rumors. think I think we all are? <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. so. Oh that's right. Maybe yeah, so. we
3: are. Yeah, you're right. You're right.
0: Um and last thing I want to touch on before we go to a quick break. Uh you mentioned Ashley Judd. Um I, I apparently I missed the memo um uh, before I watched the movie, that she's in the movie. Uh we start to set her up and uh you see a woman uh sitting at a desk and you just see her uh, from behind and she's speaking and I was like okay that's Ashley Judd um but I fully expected the shot to stay there I did not know that Ashley Judd is in this movie and um it was really powerful really powerful not just to see her like I mean we know her history with Harvey Weinstein and that she um you know is one of the people who went on record about him uh but uh to to retell her story um it was just, it was really powerful to watch.
4: It's a really amazing moment, and I think in a movie that is specifically concerned with the truth and honesty, and is is sort of it's a, a film about filmmaking. Um, that I think it's it it lends it a really. It's a powerful moment, especially when you know so many of the conversations around you know survivors of sexual assault or, or, or you know just um, misconduct um, about reclaiming your narrative and 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 you know who gets to tell what stories. I think um, it's it's very powerful to have her there on camera, you know, playing herself, and I think it's a, it's a it's a cool moment and a cool filmmaking choice um, that I think could have been you know if done poorly could have been gimmicky or or, or not feel true but it it really really rings true is it just is the one scene incredible. for her there's um, a few a couple scenes. yeah um they're not she's she's not a, you know a major you know player in the movie it's it's you know maybe a little bit more than a it's more than a cameo but um it's not it's a pretty small supporting role but it's a very pivotal supporting role
0: yeah I mean one moment well I think I actually teared up a few times in this movie um, oh, me but too. it's um, yeah it's, uh, it's great stuff um, uh, and with that folks I don't want you to go anywhere uh, we have a really fantastic interview uh, with Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan the stars of She Said coming up right after this quick break the awardist will be right back Welcome back to The Awardist. All right, without any further ado, I say we get to it the main event of this episode. It is EW Senior Writer Devin Cogan's interviews with the stars of She Said, Zoe Kazan, and Carrie Mulligan.
4: I'm so excited to get to talk to you about this film. I mean, I wanted to start by, you know, I know Megan and Jody were, were so involved in this production kind of early on, and you got to meet with them. Take me back to that. First time you got to meet uh, each of them, what was that meeting like? Do you want to talk about Jody? Sure.
2: I think I I think I met Jody first because we were both in New York and um, we went to dinner in our like we live in very cl- neighborhoods very close to each other. My daughter was going to preschool at the same place that her daughter had gone to preschool. Like it felt like there was all this overlap. And we had a, a favorite restaurant in common, so we went there, and I really felt like I was on some sort of blind date. I've never been on a blind date, but I was like, oh, this must be what a blind date feels like. <laughs> I was so nervous, um, because she's very, um, they're both very intimidating. I mean, not as people, but like who they are, you know. I think I was walking in with a lot of expectation, and then she was just so warm and so lovely, and felt like we had really known each other for a long time. And. Um, they were both so generous with us about opening up their lives and you know I think it's I think it's uncomfortable or I imagine it must be to be the subject when you're so often not the subject Um, you know they're usually in the position of asking the questions and we were the ones asking the nosy questions
1: yeah I was pretty nervous I think the first time I was at home I was in England um, and there was still know really restricted travel so i don't think i could even get to america at that point but um so we so we zoomed i think the first zoom was all four of us i think that's right i thought i couldn't do it on my own because i was so scared (laughs) so i made zoe do it as well i think it was the four of us you know it's that odd thing isn't it of like who do you want to play you in the film of your life and i think i sort of was praying that megan would you know that I I'm, I was positive that they would have, you know, she would have been consulted, so I don't think it was a sort of shock for her, but, you know, you just want to do it justice. So I was nervous, um, and they are intimidating figures if you don't know them, because they're so impressive, um, and it's always meeting people like that that makes me feel very sort of silly, and think, oh, I'm a professional pretender, and I'm now talking to this person who's such a grown-up, and uh, but they just were so lovely, they were so you know, excited, but also, you know, honest about how they, you know, there was definitely trepidation coming into it. um, And they were really open about, you know, not just the experience of putting together the investigation, but also their home lives and their relationship. And so they, they couldn't have been more supportive, really.
4: Yeah, I mean, for each of you, as you guys, you know, really started getting to speak to them and really diving into the story, I mean, what surprised you the most? What were some of the, like the details that you were just like not expecting or, or kind of, you know, were were you taken aback by? It?
2: I think I was surprised by how much they knew how early and given that I mean, I think I I have this sort of or I had this sort of naive idea that like once journalists knew the truth about something, then they could publish the truth. And there was so much that they had to do to get the documents to back up what they knew, and have everything be airtight, like Jody says, it was like writing a legal document, sort of, um, and just like putting that puzzle together, the the giant jigsaw puzzle of it, that that was really surprising to me and really compelling. You know, I think it's one of the pleasures of getting to, of watching the movie. Um, you know, even though the subject matter is so heavy, I think there's real pleasure in watching people use their superpower of their brains to 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 nail down this predator.
1: Yeah, I think um, the detail that went into it and the rigor, I think also the, I think what I was surprised by is that, you know, sitting in 2022, we can look back and, you know, it seems sort of inevitable that this would happen or that, you know, something that he would face, be held accountable, that then this incredible sort of movement would be propelled by this. None of that was inevitable. It was all completely, um, unknown. There was no, you know, Zoe, you know, talks about remembering reading the article and thinking, well, I wonder if this will even change anything. You know, there was no inevitability about any of it. And I think they felt that even as they published it, that their expectations were so modest. Um, and I don't think it crossed their mind for a minute what the impact would be. So that was interesting to put yourself back in 2017 in kind of a different world and think, you know, so much happened as a result of this that they had no idea would happen.
4: Yeah, that's the extraordinary thing about telling the story in twenty twenty two is, you know, we can see the the scale of it. That's that's like so I but I can't imagine what it was like for them at, at that point in time.
1: I don't think they can even probably fully process it now, you know, um I don't think that you know, that Megan and Jodie talk about the day after they press published just the how inundated they were with messages from all over the world and phone calls and emails from women telling their stories, not with just within our industry, across all industries from all different walks of life and I think I can't imagine what that must feel like. Yeah, then. they
2: describe it like a river changing the cor- its direction because they had had to work for so many months to try to get any source on the record. And then after they published, then the sources were coming to them.
4: I mean, yeah, it's pretty extraordinary. And yeah, one of the things I really love about this film is, you know, how it portrays Megan and Jody as working mothers. You know, the the late night phone calls, the juggling child care, you know, the realities of, of postpartum depression. You know, that's not usually a perspective we always see on screen. What for you guys as actors, what interested you about like that particular element of, of the story?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, you know... The Megan's experience was something I really connected to immediately. I had a pretty similar experience myself with my first child um, and was fairly blindsided by postnatal depression uh, and sort of thought I was the only person in the world who'd ever had it and that I was, you know, a mad woman. Um, And then I realized how unbelievably common it is. And um, and just sharing that with other people, I felt really massively helped me. I also it echoed Megan's experience in a way that I, it was it was work that kind of was the thing that I could hold on to that then, alongside lots of other things and a ton of support, was the thing that kind of pulled me through it. Um, and I think it is incredibly common, not much discussed, more so now probably than ever, but still not much discussed. And something that is important to see on screen, alongside a woman who is incredibly uh, capable and um, and impressive in the workplace. All of those things But I just think it's something that so many people go through that we just sort of don't talk about. And um, I was really delighted that she chose to include it, that she shared it, she didn't have to.
2: It also seemed to me like there was a, you know, like we rewatched All the President's Men as we were getting ready to do this. And, you know, when you see that movie, any snippet you see of their personal life, like you see them at home in their apartment and their apartment's a mess and they're like, you know, we don't need any other information about their bachelor life than than that because their work can be the center of their life. And I think there's something really important about acknowledging that these two women were juggling something also really important to them just as they were doing this, like, work that was going to change the world in some ways, that both things had to stay, you know, up in the air that whole time. Um, you know, for me, my my... Um, My partner, Paul, was on the other side of the country shooting the Fablemans while we were shooting this and the only way that we could make that work was to have my parents come and help out with with my child and having like a really extraordinary nanny who could really fill in for her as well and um, so I, I I was like going to work and doing this juggle of motherhood at work and then going home and experiencing that exact same thing and I really felt this like great continuity of, or community of women all, you know, so many of us do that juggle and I think it's really important to put it on screen and shine a light on it.
4: Absolutely, and yeah, I mean, you think about the the sort of you know canon of journalism movies. I mean, it's it's you know you think of all the presidents, Presidents Men. You think you think of Spotlight. I mean, it, and it's a lot of male journalists. You don't always see necessarily the the things that come with being specifically like a heavy duty investigative journalist, like like Megan and Jody, which is so fascinating.
1: Yeah, I think also you know they're both. I don't know. It, it, I think what I was so interested in the story is what are all the all the pieces that made up these women and their experience that brought them together, that then made this partnership that made it possible to... Because so many capable journalists had attempted to run this story and hadn't been able to do it. And what, what is it about these two and their lives that made them the ones who got it over the line? And I do think, you know, I think motherhood is part of it. I think they, they bonded through their their, you know, experience of motherhood. They also both had daughters that I know sort of personally inspired them as they went through. So I think there was just a lot about who they specifically were as women um, that that came into this, you know, that propelled them through this investigation.
2: And then also the institutional support of the New York Times, yeah. which I think you see in the film. Um, and and I think it really is, you know, we 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 have thought a lot about how this is a movie about collective action and the power of collective action and the power of people standing up in their truth and how that can make a difference. But it really makes a difference when an institution like the New York Times get, puts their muscle behind it.
4: Absolutely. And yeah, I know you guys actually got to shoot in the New York Times offices sort of during the early days of the pandemic. What was it like to sort of be in that space and, and sort of tell the story?
1: Yeah, it was a pretty amazing place to start. I mean, that's where we started the shoot. We started in the New York Times building, and it had been empty since March 2020. So we were... Not only the first film crew ever allowed to film in there, feature film crew, but also the first people allowed into the building. Um, And it was so weird. We were texting Megan and Jodie and they were saying, you know, we can't believe you're in there before we are. I mean, they just, you know, it's sort of, it's such an important place to them. Um, And we were there with our crew. It, It felt, it was, yeah, it was extraordinary. It was really such a privilege and an amazing place to start and to do all those newsroom scenes in one big chunk at the beginning.
2: It was also though a really uncanny experience because we'd be like reading the New York Times on our phone and, and I think like in some sort of childish way I had this idea of like, oh, in some other building they're all making the New York Times and it's being beamed into my phone and then I'd be like, no, we're in the New York Times, yeah. they're all at home they're in their bedrooms.
1: Home. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
2: Hunched over their computers, like, yeah. yeah. That's so funny. You're like, I'm literally in the middle of the action, but
4: there's no action. Happening and it's empty. Me. I mean, it was completely
1: yeah. empty. And we populated it with supporting artists and, you know, yeah. it was it was trying to. Yeah, you had they had to sort of try and, and they asked they were very specific to production design, were very specific with Megan and Jody about what their particular desks looked like, what kind of things they would have. So it was trying to really recreate there
2: but there were like you know it was as if everyone had been lifted out of the building you know and there was like valentine's day candy still on people's desks and their shoes under their desks it was very strange
4: so bizarre and yeah i know you guys have have known each other for a while i know you did you know the seagull and 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 wildlife and and you know some of these these different projects but you know what was it like to do this movie together what was it like to sort of figure out this this on-screen relationship
1: I just can't imagine ever having done it with anyone else. It was just so. I mean, we, yeah, we've known each other for fourteen years. Um, Zoe was a bridesmaid at my wedding. We've, you know, we've been, and, I, and we've looked for years for this for something to do together, whether on stage or TV or whatever. And um, and wildlife, we came close to it. And that Zoe co-wrote that with Paul, and we worked on that all together. Um, but we'd never found the thing. But we we're also saying for a long time. In most projects, there was usually just one girl, and not very many other women in it. So it was pretty difficult to find that. Um, but for this to come along, and for us to be cast alongside one another in these, you know, in, in this incredible partnership—not just two women in the same film, but two women really working together in the same film—just felt like such a godsend for us.
2: Yeah, it really felt like, you know, there was a partnership on screen, and then there was a partnership behind you know, off screen. Um, Having Carrie's brain to bounce off of, having the shorthand between us, really knowing how she works. You know, we did a play for months together and shared a dressing room, a tiny dressing room, and so I I felt like there was a real sense that we could be there for each other artistically, personally. Um, I've never had anything like it on on a film before. I felt really fortunate
4: that's got to be such a like a fun, you know, creative experience to, you know, get to get to, you know, you've known each other for such a long time and then to sort of, you know, figure out this relationship on screen.
1: Well, yeah, the, the bit I always thought would be challenging was the bit where they don't know each other <laughs> at the beginning. Right. You know, we were like pretty confident we could do the best friends club part at <laughs> <of> the end. <laughs> but the part of the film where they, you know, they don't know each other, they don't immediately click. There's like somewhat of a tension. Megan doesn't totally believe in Jody's mission there's a bit of a kind of, I mean, that was the part of it that was, was more, we had to give a little bit more thought to how this relationship starts, what brings them together.
4: That makes sense. And yeah, for each of you, when you think back to the filming process, you know, what was like the scene or like the day on set that sticks out to you the most when, when you think back on that experience?
2: Well, I think that having this kind of like, um, for me, having this kind of bridge where we started in the New York Times building and really like had, we had two weeks in there where we were building what the center of the movie is. And then going out in this kind of satellite way and getting all of these other pieces, getting them with their home lives, getting them talking to sources. And the last scene that I shot was the scene where I talked to Samantha Morton to Zelda Perkins and in the movie um, and that was in London and it felt like oh I had gone on this big journey in a kind of like life imitating art kind of way Um, and I really appreciated having that two weeks to start with so that I knew going into all these other scenes what the core of the film was. Or, or what their home base felt like.
1: Yeah, I, I, I loved the newsroom stuff. I remember we decided early on, we stole it from all the president's men, but all the, in all the president's men, um, Redford and, and Hoffman had learned each other's lines. So they all knew, they both knew the whole script in all the scenes that they were together. And we did the same thing where we knew each other's lines. Um, for everything when we were in the newsroom together. So every time we were reporting back to um, Rebecca or Patricia Clarkson or Dean, we would, I would know. So we could overlap in a way that felt completely like I could finish her sentence and she could finish mine. And um, I remember the first thing we did that um, was really fun. We were really chuffed with ourselves. (laughs)
4: Such a cool detail like yeah especially like those moments of overlap I imagine that would be so much fun to
1: play yeah, because they both have the information you know and it's just a case of who's going to articulate that particular part of it that they easily one or the other could take on the entire thing but that it was such a partnership they could really kind of finish each other's sentence
2: just on that note um, Jojo our stills photographer on set is someone had you worked with her no before? You had I, had with I had worked with her work. I had worked with her a couple times before and she's Really lovely, and she like grabbed us at some point and was like, th- showed us a still from all the president's men of of Redford and Hoffman, and was like, I want to recreate this, and so we like went and and did that really quickly. and Now that's the poster. That's the poster. That's I know. Poster which for film. never
1: happens. Usually the poster doesn't. Usually, and the good posters end up being things that are genuinely just taken from the film, and you know But that one was we were posing. <laughs> Um, and I just find it like so funny as a kind of like Easter egg that that yeah. it's it's based on this still from all yeah. the president's
2: exactly.
4: men. Wait, I love that. That's such a cool detail. And what's it been like for you to actually get to share this movie with people? You know, I know you had the, the New York Film Festival premiere. I mean, what's the what's the reaction like? Have you heard from from people in this industry or, or what's that been like for you guys?
1: Yeah, I think the most amazing reaction has been to the real um, survivors, um, to Ashley Judd Zelda Perkins and Laura Madden and Rowena, Chu, And, you know, um, we've been so privileged to have so many of them at the various screenings that we've done. So and when they've been introduced either on stage or in the audience often, um, the reaction to them has just been incredible and really powerful and really moving. and. Um, Ashley spoke so beautifully in New York about her participation in the film and, um, and so that's been incredible. And also after the screenings, you know, people who aren't involved with in the film, who aren't even involved in the film industry necessarily have been, I've found lots of women post the, the screenings talking about their own experiences. Um, and I think that is, that is part of what the film does. It does sort of open that door for conversation.
4: Yeah, absolutely. All right, great. Well, I will let you guys go. But thank you again for taking the time to talk to me. And, and congratulations on the film. It is, it's really something. It's really incredible. Thank, thank you so much. much.
0: Uh, a fantastic interview there, Devin. Uh, I, I really hope everyone pays attention to this movie and checks it out. Yeah, and I did not know they've been friends for so long, which, by the way, I feel like that really translates to the screen
4: yeah it's kind of a cool detail they did the seagull together like a decade ago and um you know Carrie was in um wildlife with which Zoe wrote co-wrote um mm-hmm. with, with her partner with her husband uh, Paul Dano and um yeah like it apparently they didn't know they were both in the running when when they were cast and like Maria Schrader didn't know that they were <laughs> friends um but she was like once I saw them together she was like okay this is this actually works um yeah and they have like a, a, a good chemistry together because yeah because because in the in the film, Megan and Jody, I mean they're colleagues and they're friendly but they're mm-hmm. not, you know, close. Right. Um but and and we sort of get to see their relationship develop a little bit and mm-hmm. they're they're very fun to watch on screen.
0: They're great. They're great. Uh you guys are great Devin and Joey. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of The Awardist.
4: Thank you for having me.
3: Thank you, Jared. Of course, and thank of you, course. Devin.
0: Yeah, this was a fun one, you guys. Uh, Folks, that is it for this episode of The Awardist, as I mentioned. If you liked what you heard, please follow, rate the podcast, and leave us an award-winning review on Apple Podcasts. And to keep the conversation with us going, you can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials. We're at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag me at Jared Hall. We will see you right back here next week.
3: We forgot to talk about Penguin Bloom.
0: Oh, crap. Did we? Roll the tape back. (laughs) Did we? This episode of the Awardist podcast is hosted by Jared Hall, produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio, edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.